Millennium 2.2 is an easy access space sim. It's Amigos, episode 322. Hi everybody, welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about Millennium 2.2. Ooh, yeah. Aaron, do you remember what you did at the turn of the Millennium? I do. I do remember what I did. It was so lame. I remember, you know, when you're when it's 1989 or 90, and the Millennium's coming, but still 10 years away, you got plenty of time. And I remember talking to my friends, we're going to go out and sit on this island and sit in front of a lighthouse or go up on a mountain. Mm-hmm. And we we're going to, all of our close friends are going to get together. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be this big thing. All right. And ultimately, I believe I was up, gosh, 2000. I was in, I think I was, I was still in Lexington. And I think I had a party that was no good. And I don't remember anything that happened. I don't, I don't, I don't mean that in a good way. I mean, it was completely nondescript. Mm-hmm. And nothing happened. And, and on top of that, with the year 2K thing was going on, I had made certain predictions oh. that did not come true. So I was Well, also, you can't leave us hanging, man. What were these predictions? Well, you know, a lot of people were going bananas about the Y2K bug. Right, and right. There, I, I know when no one believes this, but I swear to you, there was something to it to a certain degree. Sure, yeah. It could have been a problem, okay? Mm-hmm. Did I think... Uh, the world would explode. No, but I thought there was a distinct possibility that things like the internet could have be affected or, uh, uh, you know, network issues yeah. and whatnot. And have, because having been in that field, I used to see stuff all the time that didn't have work. Was it Y2K compatible? And so I certainly, I made certain predictions that I thought there would be difficulties and issues that, and none of that came to pass. So, there you go. So I, I was the I was the tin foil hat guy that night. Well, what you tell people is that oh, it's a good thing I saved the internet. And you they make it, you just, you spin it back to yourself and say, listen, I took care of some things and we're, everything's cool. Well, they didn't realize that at 20 years later, instead of one massive destruction of the internet, I'm slowly ruining it a little at a time. <laughs> one hour at a time. What about you? What were you doing that fateful eve? So I always thought that the, if the world was going to end in the year, two, you know, January uh, 1st, 2000, at least I would A be an adult i'd be 18 because i turned 18 in july of 1999 yeah and b get at least one semester of college in yeah so i did i did both of those things and uh i on the the january 31st i went over to my friend uh josh's house and uh a bunch of other band kids were there and we got extremely extremely inebriated and yeah well that's that's pretty good though yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. I, got. I, mean, I still I remember what I, I, I was wearing one of these Suns Out, Guns Out tanks. You ever wear the tank top around at parties? I'm not a big tank tank top guy. Really? Yeah. When, when, I, huh. when I did that 10K and I'd lost all that weight, I would every mm-hmm. once in a while, I would, I would, I would sport the tank because I was and working this out is, and stuff, but not, not This so was much. at the heyday when I looked most like the lead singer from Bare Naked Ladies. And Isn't so, he a uh, world-class geek? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, look at who you're talking to. And uh and yeah, it was uh that was that was the year the year two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, were you let down that there wasn't a did you think there might be a calamitous out like outcome? Uh no. 
No, because I mean, think about it. you. Just all you have to do is look back over the course of the ages of how many times the world has been predicted to end, and we're still we're still hanging out, man. We're still doing our thing. We're like cockroaches, the giant yeah. kind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was happy it didn't explode or anything, but I don't know. Part of me, part of me yearned for a Mad Max world mode. I think I would thrive in that environment. I have no doubt you would thrive. Nice You've already warm. got the outfits picked out. Yeah, out in the desert, mm-hmm. I could get one of those glue one mohawks. You know, I got weapons over here, too. And mm-hmm. most of my cars look like they've been from a Mad Max world. So it would have worked that good. That's very true. You could have worked that cigarette lighter as heater angle for a long time. <laughs> I would have been the king of heaters. I'd be the only guy that had one. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, Aaron, why don't we uh, see what's been going on in the world of Amiga News this week? Amiga News. All right, Aaron. So the first thing we've got here is, you know, Huselbeck, this guy is the man when it comes to repackaging and reselling his glory years of compositions. Uh, Turrican has been remixed, remastered, and re-put out on nearly every available media format in every conceivable combination of instruments. And he's doing it again, Aaron. This is actually not um, Chris Huselbeck's work. This comes to us from another guy. He has taken... The um, the themes from Turrican, and this is a guy. His name is Cordian Wycheck. Okay, mm. and he has rearranged the themes from Turrican into an album he calls "Dueling Pianos" because this is uh, two pianos uh, playing the themes from Turrican. So, uh, if that huh. interests you, you can check this out on Chris Huselbeck's Bandcamp page, chrishuselbeck.bandcamp.com. And uh, you can purchase, you can listen to this album now, uh, or you can purchase it for the low, low price of $9 US, Aaron. Did you see this here? Buy the digital discography, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like a ton of stuff. 48 Two, releases Huselbeck has done. 200 wigwams, boat, the big money. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of wad, isn't it? I mean, I mean, that's, I know there's some big tunes there, but I mean, two hundred bucks. What's the, there must it's, be an angle it's, there. it's for people who want it all, you know. And and a lot of these too, I think, you know, you're talking about forty eight albums at ten bucks an album. I mean, you're getting a deal. Is that what you, we're talking that, about? That's four hundred eighty dollars if you pay ten four, bucks an album. These are all albums. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. I guess that's good. I don't know. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a lot of albums of music. It is, it is. And it looks like Huselbeck has uh, composed a lot of royalty-free stuff. So this could be your chance if you're looking for some uh, some Huselbeck-inspired tunes for your podcast or your video series or whatever. Uh, you can check that out, too. So. Mm. Yeah. I have to look into that neat. myself. You know, I'm, I'm a big royalty-free guy, so you're your all big my free albums guy. are royalty-free. Yeah, take <laughs> off, eh? All right, Aaron, coming up next on the news train... We've got another arcade port that's coming to the Amiga. This time, it's Ms. Pac-Man. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it wasn't that long ago that JOTD released uh, Pac-Man. Now, he's gone and done it again. He's moved on to the sequel, which is, by all accounts... uh, Have you ever met anybody that's preferred the original Pac-Man to Ms. Pac-Man? Oh, Lord, no. No, no. no. I love... You know, we owned a Miss Pac-Man mm-hmm. back back in the day. When I say we, I mean me. Brent wasn't involved, but I did own one of these. What a deal I got, both by the way on this on this back. I got a Donkey Kong and a Miss Pac-Man and something else. I got it for oh Road Blasters. Got them dirt cheap, brother. They're a giveaway. 
Uh, but then I had to sell everything because I got fired while I got laid <laughs> off. But uh, yeah, Miss Pac-Man, great game, great looking cabinet. Me and Brent were talking about when we did female protagonists. This is one of the early lady protagonists in all video games, the Mrs. Pac. The story behind this game is always entertaining. I think it was a general electronics that were basically making a bootleg board for Pac-Man. And when they got mm-hmm. together with the people there and said, let's make a deal. Good move, by the way, because this was a yeah. big money maker. And also, you say, this is one of those games. There are a few games from like the early 80s, and you, they linger, right? And in fact, I would say there are two that come to mind. And this is one, and the other one is, of course, Galaga. You yeah. see, those are ones you'll occasionally still see out there. They're, they're so popular play. that Namco actually released a two-in-one cabinet just a few years ago called the Class of 1981 uh, that features both these games in the same cabinet. So, yeah, the both pro- of these games, Stone Cold Classics. The problem with that is it's got a it's got a pay-to-continue feature. Which yeah, I find that's no good. I no hate that. No good. Yeah, that's no yeah. good. I think you can turn it off, though. But, yeah, this looks great, by the way. Yeah, they've uh, they've they've done the right thing and made the the screen the right aspect ratio and, yeah. like, some, you know, Pac-Man transcodes I could name. That's, that's uh, the way Everything is on the screen at one time. It's a real port, Aaron. This isn't somebody messing around. Look, even the little peach is bebopping around, but yeah, I like yeah. it. Good, I like good it job. Good job. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. That'll be great. Now, check this out, Aaron. This is not something that I expected to see over at Indie Retro News this week. You don't see too many Wheel of Fortune games appearing on the Amiga this week. Or ever. (laughs) Or this week. Yeah. It's only the third one. Now, this is a game called Yawafa. And this is a word puzzle game that plays like Wheel of Fortune. You spin the wheel, you get points, you solve the puzzle. Uh, did you play Wheel of Fortune on any any of your game systems oh back in the day? Oh my god! I played the. Keep in mind, I was in uh, uh, ninth grade. <laughs> we had the old IBM CGA specials up in the old computer lab at the high school, and this game and Jeopardy were two games that were always around, and we played the crap out of these games. I've played a million games of this. I played a million games on the, on the old version. Much like Jeopardy, spelling counts. Yeah. So when you tried to solve the puzzle, you could look like it was a little bit easier on this, but not always. And you look like a big doofus. <laughs> but man, I played the crap out of this. I can still remember digitized blocky Vanna White scrolling mm-hmm. uh, along that green background to turn those letters, you know, in the thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we played. I played a ton of Wheel of Fortune on the old CGA PC and Jeopardy. Uh, but I also had a clone on the um, on the Atari computer. I think it came with an, an issue of an Antic magazine called "Words Are Fun." <laughs> so that was that was a lot of fun. An intriguing to play. title and yeah. also wrong. Yeah, words are fun. <laughs> Spelling words isn't fun anyway. This looks well. I mean, this looks like Wheel of Fortune. I yeah. don't have a problem with it. I'm down. Yeah, we may have to fire this up on the next Amigathon. That, that, could, be, that could be that could be the next that could be the game of the week someday in the future. <laughs> I, I would play some Wheel of Fortune all day long. I wouldn't have a problem with it. Me too, man. All right, Aaron. Our next story is all about the Amiga One X five thousand. You know, we don't talk a lot about the next gen Amigas. We're because we don't really know yeah. a lot about they the next gen Amigas. Me. However, there's this guy called TJ Ferreria. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he is uh, he is an expert in the X five thousand. He's got one sitting there right behind him. And in this video, he's changed his mind. Now I'm not going to give away the plot and tell you what he says, 
But I'm just going to say, listen, if you are wondering about the current state of the NG Amiga project and you'd like to see this guy's thoughts on it, look at this guy. He looks like he knows what he's talking about because, first of all, he's got a nice full beard and he's sitting in one of those wacky gamer chairs with the headrest. He looks so, like if he looks like if Einstein and Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard had a son, it'd be this guy. <laughs> he looks he looks so, wise. I, I, this I, is you're not going to give is, me any hint as to what he's talking about here. No, no, no I'm not, I'm not going to give it away. Five. Okay. But I will say that uh, this guy has some really interesting videos, including uh, ones about the Intellivision Amico. So this, this guy undoubtedly has some opinions about things. So if you want to check it out, head over to TJ Ferreria's uh, site. And of course, we have updated the link here on the news page. Bitly slash Amiga News will take you exactly where you need to go. I apologize for the past couple of weeks where we've had a link that did not in fact work. And thank you to Pixels at Dawn for pointing that out to me. Uh, so now Bitly slash Amiga News takes you where you need to go. You know, TJ Ferreria here, I'm looking over, I'm just looking at the stats here. And there's always, he's got 78 thumbs up and there's always that one geek mm -hmm. that rolls around. That he's a he's the he's like the universal hater. He's gonna hate everything, yeah. and I don't. I, so having not known what this guy says, he must not have been too controversial because we know in the in this community you can it's you can easily get more than one perennial hater to come around. So he must have been, <laughs> his opinion must be very popular. Otherwise, True. he would have getting he get murdered. So that sounds good. Thank you, but well done both. All right, and finally, Aaron, this is a new video from our buddy Chris Edwards and more of his adventures with the Terrible Fire card. So tell us about this, Aaron. Well, this was this was another one that where Chris goes to work. And first of all, he goes... This was interesting to me, this part here, where he fixes the keyboard on his, on his 5... Or his 12... Was this a 500? I didn't realize it was you could just go get a new gimmick to put... A those. new membrane, you know right? Now, you did that for the Atari, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, I did that with the Atari, but you're right. I had not heard of people making those for did other you, computers. Maybe yours, that's a thing you can get. Did yours look like this? Is one of the reasons I want to talk about this. Did yours look like that with the kind of the, just kind yeah. of stiff plastic? It, How it, like it looked, floppy was it? Was it? It was very saying? floppy. It was very oh, floppy, and, and I totally uh, did not succeed in installing it correctly. Yeah, uh, and so oh, I ended up. Uh, well, I, I I have no skill with electronics repair. That's what happened. Um, and so uh, I ended up shipping it. the computer and the membrane to a guy in California. Sight unseen from Atari age. He's just like, yeah, I do those. And I was like, all right, here's my computer from when I was a kid. And uh, But yeah, uh, true to form, he fixed it for me, sent it back, and I haven't had a, a problem with it since. Yeah, and then the rest of the video is Chris trying to correctly configure uh, the uh, the drive port on the terrible fire to do he wants well uh it's hard this stuff's all hard well, chris I, is a, chris well, is an when expert. you say that the drive port well i don't yeah, understand it's got what like that a, means. it's got a it's got a hard drive port on the on the actual terrible fire card you can oh use, okay right? uh, among other things and it was uh it's hard you know and he he uh when he tried every angle uh he's a patient dude and uh, it was uh, it was difficult, and that's that's the show. So, but I mean, I kind of I'm a sick man. So because I've struggled so long with so many hard things that it that I don't mind seeing someone else struggle to see if they can figure it out or what the ultimate goal was. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but it was entertaining uh, and wacky. 
So if you're into that sort of thing, if you, you know now does this saying. does this inspire you at all, Aaron, to get your own terrible fire card this for your twelve hundred? Inspires me to sell all my Amigas and 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 <laughs> and then buy seven more Misters. That's what this inspires me to do. This is <laughs> this makes me nervous. That's why it's, I can get my fix of this sort of thing without actually being the guy suffering through it. Because mm-hmm. you've seen some of my sketchy tech videos. When I'm trying to do stuff on the on the on the Amiga or the Coco, remember that Coco keyboard project? That oh I had yeah, the the, the Atomic Pie manufacturer and all that stuff. You know, and and let's not the less said about the Unamiga, the better. But like, <laughs> I mean, I can fill twenty videos with these things, and it just drives me nuts. And so I uh, uh, I would rather just relax with a cold one and just watch someone else do it, especially Chris, yeah. Uh, yeah. my kind of wacky tech. So another wacky Chris video, give it a shot. There you go, Boaster. All right, Aaron. Uh, before we leave our news segment, we should probably check out what's been going on over at Retro Rewind's site this week. Bam. Retro Rewind. Well, Frank's been at it again, actually. I'm going to I'm gonna hop over there real quick. The uh, Frank ha- has just... he's. We mentioned this last week briefly. He's in the process of putting together a, uh, uh, a bench power supply. Uh, for uh, all the Commodore machines, the C64, the Amiga, uh, those machines. He's also, he just put up something on Twitter, uh, which I haven't got to even look at it yet, but he sent it out. I saw it come off of his of his webpage. He's always got some kind of thing. Going. I think it's a custom ROM, if I'm not mm. mistaken. Did you see that pop up on Twitter? No, I haven't. I haven't yeah. seen that. So, But, I mean, listen, if you need if you need some sweet action, on your Commodore-related computer, there's, and you're in North America in particular, there's only one place to go, and that's our boy, Frank, at RetroRewind.ca. Not only does he have parts, replacement parts, ROMs, the OSs, the whole nine yards, he also sells cap kits, and he will do your recap himself. Uh, you can send it up there, and some, and the fine folks at Retro Rewind will recap your C64, your 128th, your Amiga family of computers, even the CD32 boat, can get a recapping at r- ridiculous, ludicrous prices, low, double low prices, uh, and quick too. It's a it's a good safe bet if you send your reworks up to Frank. Listen, we just talked about Chris Edwards. He was struggling. This stuff's hard. If you mm-hmm. want to get in here and risk having a bad day, I can tell you this firsthand. Go in there and think to yourself, you know, I'm going to recap some crap today. I recapped <laughs> an arcade monitor, my Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, this won't be hard. I'm a, I'm a pro, brother. I can't possibly screw up. And it never worked. And I, finally, my I, my dad was looking at my monitor. He goes, what's wrong with this? I was like, I screwed it up. He goes, you need solder right here. I was like, that ain't it. He took the solder and I went, ting. And then it came to life. It looked great. But that's all it takes. One screw up and you're done. You know, mm-hmm. Frank's not going to screw up. He's a pro. He's got yeah. professional machines up there to take care of business. He's the man to call, Boat. Yeah, and for whatever you want to buy from Frank, you can save 10% off your order by using the promo code AMIGOS10 at checkout. We appreciate and we love Retro Rewind, and we thank them for being a supporter of Amigos. Mm-hmm. All right, Aaron, it's time to talk Millennium 2.2. Has there oh, ever man. been a worse name for a game than Millennium 2.2? Yes, uh, there has actually that the that uh, ZX Spectrum game about the worm comes oh, to mind. Oh, Fat Boy Blues a Sparky. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> See, I didn't have to even say the name, and you knew what it was. Let's talk about this thing, Boat Millennium Two Point Two, just like Rush Boat. Uh, 
released in 89. Now, I'm not going to ask if you've played this, because I know there's a 0% chance you played this. There's a less than 0% chance I would have played this. I want to stop right here. If you're watching at home here, we're on the Millennium 2.2 intro screen. It says Millennium 2.2, there's a triangle, and it has a uh, couple letters under it. Now, look at that. Ed. What's that look like to you, Boat? Ed, like Mr. No, Ed. Right, and why is that? Because this was made, this was, uh, uh, this thing was published by Electric Dreams. Mm -hmm. Now, I looked at this. I looked at this when it came up, and I was like, "Wait a minute, that looks just like the Captain EO logo." Hmm. Okay. I didn't so make I, that connection. Oh, I did because I saw Captain EO in the theater boat back at Disney World. It was out when I was there with the band, mm -hmm. and so this is a sidebar, but I'm gonna say it anyway. So we go up. So I'm looking this up, and I'm like, you know, maybe I'm nuts. I'm gonna Google. I'm gonna wiki get the Captain EO wiki, and at the very bottom of the wiki, it says. The Captain EO logo looks very similar to the Electric Dreams logo. I was like, yes! <laughs> so I'm not the only one that's Affirmation, that. baby. But there it is. <laughs> that's, so if you, if you ever looked at that and wonder what was going on, that's what's going on. <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. They just And the thing is, they Electric Dreams had it first, clearly. So... Because I don't know when Captain EO came up, but I think well, it was listen, later than this. Nobody's going to... The Electric Dreams folks didn't have the jack to sue MJ. So he probably was playing this game. You know, it he was a big gamer. It would and have had to have like, been close because I yeah. was in the band in 89 and this came out in 89. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, who knows who ripped off who? You know, that's I, true. That's a stupid thing to say. I'm sure this ripped off Captain. <laughs> Let's face facts, folks. So anyway, this came out in 89. Uh, we mentioned published by Electric Dreams, but cool name. We always liked mm -hmm. that one. Uh, developed by the lamest sounding. <laughs> The lamest development company of all time, Software Studios. That's the, no good. Yeah, no good. They didn't do they now. No, so hear me out on this because this is sort of incorrect. All right, <clears throat> I looked into these Software Studios guys. Okay, Software Studios were Activision's UK in-house development slash support team. This comes off the Moby mm -hmm. webpage. Okay. Uh, they were established in an old electric, electric Dreams office in Southampton, UK, mm -hmm. right, in the 80s. And they did technical and creative development for Activision, okay? Now, they were responsible for some, some titles we've looked at, actually. One title that, if you'll recall, was one of the finest titles we ever played on the Amiga, Altered Beast. Oh, yeah. And it, that was yeah. <laughs> the source of my never ending humiliation, Boat. Um, they did Atomic Robo Kid, Galaxy Force 1 and 2, IK Plus, Power Drift, SDI. None of these have anything to do with this game. And the reason no. is this game was really done by like one person with some help from two others. Okay. Uh, the artist or the coder and uh, general designer of this game. Is a fellow named Ian Bell, or excuse me, Bird. Bird. I was gonna say Ian Bell. Isn't that the guy that did Elite? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Maybe this I is Ian it is. Bird. Or no, it's David Bell or something like that. Anyway. Now, this is one of only two games to the Amiga. The other game is the sequel to this, which we'll talk about later on. The graphics for this were made by Jay Redman. Jay is spelled cool guy style. J A I. So I think that's it's still J, right? J A I. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the music, now you may have heard of this guy, Boatster. He's a man I like to call the Whitster, yeah. David Whitaker. He's done it all. Just to go over a couple of his uh, contributions, Bubble Bobble, uh, First Person Pinball, which was probably the height of his career, uh, Golden Axe, <laughs> Fright Night, got a, 
<laughs> Got to get that in there. He, you talk about up and down uh, on the on the games. He went well, let's Bright say, I mean, I, I, David Whitaker did not compose the Bubble Bobble theme. He, uh, no. he rearranged it for. <laughs> I'm Amiga. just saying, he this guy he he they had him work on every conceivable. Listen, game. he probably worked a couple hours a day. He knocked out some tunes, and then people would just line up and be like, "Hey, can I have a song?" And he'd be like, "Here you go." It's like, listen. We're desperate for a, a hot team for first-person pinball, Dave. Right. He's like, bam, I got it. I got you. Uh, he also uh, worked on Star Wars music and the music to Xenon 2 Mega Blast. Um, although, when you think of Xenon 2 Mega Blast, you think of that cool song, Bomb the Bass song. Mm -hmm. um, this was an OCS offering boat, so it's right up your alley. There was not an AGA. had not even been uh, pondered at this point. Now, it's funny. All the Amiga sites say this came out for the Amiga and the ST, but it also came out for DOS. I don't know why they don't right. mention that. In fact, aside of the fact that I saw it listed in like Moby, a couple other places, it's also in the book. <laughs> it's on the manual. It says, here's mm -hmm. the DOS instructions for loading. Maybe it's just DOS is implied. DOS has another name. All right. Here's the name yeah. for the DOS because you didn't like 2.2, but this one's called Millennium Return to Earth. That's a better name. Is that. <laughs> What was that? Well, at first I said back to Earth, but that was no, wrong. no. Return, Return to Earth. Back's not cool enough sound. Okay, what are you going? Okay, you're the marketing director. Which yeah. do you choose? Millennium Return two point two. Yeah, yeah. Because that actually explains what you're doing in the game. Well, also I thought Millennium two point two was uh, like a version upgrade from Millennium one. Right, you know, and it's not. So horrible name. Well, it, the game takes place in two thousand two hundred. I guess that's where they get it. But yeah, yeah. so yeah. there you go. Um, so let's get into this game boat proper. Okay. So the game, and I'm going to summarize the epic, epic, uh, flavor text in the book. Okay. So you here you are on earth. It's, t it's the year 2180 or whatever. Okay. And we have sent colonies in the space, two colonies. We've got one on the moon because of course the mm -hmm. moon. Someone's got to mine that cheese. And then you yep. also sent some suckers. I feel sorry for these suckers. They went to Mars. Okay. So who'd have thunk it? Asteroid come, whacks the Earth, kills everybody. Blow I mean, The Earth is still there. It's sort of like a Thundar type gimmick, mm -hmm. you know? Runaway right. planet hurtling between the Earth and Moon. So that was 97, of, right? Thundar? No, it was way before that. No, no, Thundar? I mean the, in, in oh, the year 1997, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Very good, mm -hmm. good memory, Boat. Thank you. So anyway... Uh, this time, a runaway asteroid hurtled into the Earth and killed everybody on it. And so the only people left are the people on Mars and the people on the moon. And you play one of the moon guys, all right? And you're running the moon base. Now, you don't get too far into the game before you hear from the people on Mars. And, of course, the people on Mars are jerks. They're like, yeah, we're, like, we're take, we claim the Earth, and so we're going to kill you if you try to send probes out or do anything we're gonna mm -hmm. we're gonna consider an act of war mm -hmm. the book leads you to believe that the people in mars aside from the fact that they're mean oh by the way they're kind of mutated right. that'll happen on the red planet boat mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so what's to do well it's your job as the king dong of the moon to get your production and whatnot up to snuff to where you can send out people to colonize uh, to extend Earth's reach all over the place. Plus, you're trying to get enough jack together to hopefully take your people back down and reclaim the Earth it's, to some capacity because 
word on the street from your probes and stuff is that Earth, all the destruction and stuff is slowly subsiding. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully you can get your people back there. But you, thought, you can't just throw some guys a rocket and launch off. You don't got a rocket. You don't got guys. You don't got nothing. You got like 100 people. And the game is about getting together uh, all the uh, production and, and research and whatnot you need to make these goals obtainable. Uh, did that sound about right to you, Bode? That sounds good, man. Now, before we go any further, I did watch Kim Justice did a piece on this. And she said that this game was very, the, the plot of this game was very similar to a TV show called Space 1999. I've never seen that show. Have you watched any Space 1999? I have. I have. I didn't like it. Mm. <laughs> I know Martin Landau was in it. Uh, and I like him. Is it's he related to show. John Landau Murphy? You know who Martin Landau is? Come on. No. You ever seen Ed Wood? Yep. Okay, he played Bela Lugosi in that. Okay. But he's, been, he's been around forever. He's been in everything. Um, So, as I recall, <clears throat> now I haven't seen Space 1999 for a while, but I believe the Earth was like, it seems like there was a nuclear incident on the, on the Earth okay. that caused them to leave in that. So it's a different sort of life-ending thing, but it was yeah. the Earth has been destroyed in that show, yeah, too. Yeah, and I believe, of course, it happened in 1999. Uh, so it's funny how all these TV shows predicted we'd be screwed well before now we showed them <laughs> we we have not yet we waited an extra 20 years planet. to get screwed yeah but, but honestly i don't there's i don't remember enough about that show to make any sort of, i mean i guess the text sort of looks the same the moon base sort of looks like that okay uh, but i don't i don't know um what did you think about this just coming up you know you read the flavor text you saw the manual what's your what were your first thoughts on this thing poster well whenever we get a game like this Especially because it was it was chosen by old Level Lord, okay? And Level Lord is a fan of the strategy game. He's a, a Amigos game selection committee member, Level Lord. And I know that whatever he picks, we're always in for a treat. And by a treat, I mean it's time to break out the manual. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which exactly That's exactly what I did, too. <laughs> so um, I was pleasantly surprised to see that the manual was only, you know, six pages long. And uh, and <laughs> the majority of that was the story of what happened before the, the you know what what put us into this this situation. Let me let me, so, let me um, just interrupt you for a split second here. I printed the manual out sight unseen. I didn't even look at this sucker. I was like, I know I'm in for it because I know they're going. I was scared. You know me mm-hmm. when it comes to these games. Oh yeah. So I walked back to the print and I'm like, oh man, there's like 20, 25 pages here. Now look, I'm like, Le Moon. What the heck is this? And there's of course it's the, <laughs> it's a multilingual manual. Right. And you're right, there were six pages. I dropped to my knees. I was like, thank you, thank you, sweet Lord. Because mm-hmm. I was worried to death. And a lot of it, like you said, is flavor tech. You're dead on. Yeah. Now, when you first get into the game, uh, I was shocked, stunned, and amazed. Because, Aaron, this is a game that has tooltips. This is a game when you hover over an icon on the screen, instead of making you cross-reference the manual that's printed in 16,000 languages, you see the word that the icon represents on the screen presented in English text in 1989. Yeah. The the fact that this guy only made one game is quite possibly the two. biggest tragedy, two games, is quite possibly the biggest tragedy in Amiga's history because he cracked the code. He cracked the code that says, listen, you don't need to have the manual ready at all times. You can put all the information you need on the screen so you can do something I like to call having fun playing the game. Okay. Oh, this is great. The UI in this was fantastic. 
I went through every single one of the systems and I understood what it did. There's a zoom out, there's a zoom in. You zoom in on your moon base, you zoom in on your colony. Everything makes sense except for one thing. You're going to spend 90% of your time on this game on the same screen, and that is your moon base screen. Okay, the moon base screen shows your moon base, which looks like uh, it's got a central hub and it's got spokes and it's got nodules that are sticking out of it. There's like six or seven nodules. Yeah. Okay. Underneath that, you've got buttons and the buttons say defense, resources, um, uh, help me out here. What else is on there? Uh, Life support, production, research, uh, right. Defense. So I'm like, awesome, here are some buttons for me to click on, just like all the other buttons in this game. So you're clicking, nothing. Yes. You're clicking some more, nothing. You're like, well, maybe I need to click on one of these other buttons and then click on this again, nothing. I spent 10 or 15 minutes and I read through the manual. I'm like, what is going on? Why can I not do anything on this game? And I was getting mad. I was getting real mad because up until this point, I was having a good time. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah. Here's the here for for whatever reason they put those buttons on the screen, but you cannot interact with them at all. They yeah. show you the status of whatever is going on. For example, like uh, you're if you know if everything's good, it's green. If you've got stuff that needs to be done, it's yellow. If stuff is bad, it's red. Those those colors change. The buttons change colors, but to actually interact with the different parts of the moon base, you have to click on the correct nodule. That is the only status bars is what I would call. Yeah, that is the buttons make you think you can click them. Yeah, yeah, that is the only thing that's wrong with the UI with this game. Everything else is great, and to me, that is what makes or breaks a game like this. Is how much am I going to fight against the system that's trying to make me do what I'd like to do? So my first impression of this game amazing because i could understand the systems the icons made sense there were tool tips that prevented me from having to look at the manual it was fantastic first of all yes everything you just said about those toolbars or those 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 uh uh buttons as you call it at the bottom of the screen that is the height of stupidity not having those be clickable mm-hmm. because you're clicking around that moon base and that stuff's not labeled i mean you're clicking so quick you know it says it at the top but you it doesn't say it when you're on you know it's you've got the button at the bottom why would i right. let you use that that doesn't make right. any sense now i don't know if they're i don't know what the i don't know i don't know what's going on there so you have to get used to using that moon base as a button very yeah much. and you do get how used to it, it once you once you're in there it's fine but it's just it, it was a missed opportunity for sure and how long did it take you to figure out there was a hanger on this right, right. In the middle yeah right. i was like that was the last thing i found there's a lot of that like when you go to the when you go to various like we're right now we're looking at the place where you produce stuff <clears throat> and so the, you on that there's you have to figure out where to click like you click on this scr- little tv screen yeah but again crap. but again yeah. once you realize that you're meant to click on things on the screen and not just interact with buttons and icons then you can figure it out like because yeah. there's hot spots because when you hover over something you see that it, there's a there's text that appears on the screen again the fact that this came out in 1989 and there were games on the amiga well into the 90s that still had not figured out mm. this basic element of game design boggles the mind i used to play a game there were games on the pc they're public domain games that sort of reminded me of this my buddies loved them and I, they would force me to play them and it were just like this without pictures 
which mm-hmm. is so in this game you can play with no pictures. Right. They could they so my my guess is they were like, hey, better have a better have some pictures here. Otherwise, this is just gonna look like what it is. As a long, continuous series of, of menus, which is the pictures are don't do anything. They're completely worthless. I mean, you can well, look at them. But I they mean, don't do can, anything. Here's the thing. Okay. So this is this is the gameplay loop. Okay. You need to get materials. Okay. You need to produce uh, energy. Once you're producing enough energy, you can build other things. Okay. Eventually, you're going to need to build defenses because you're going to be attacked and you're going to need to build probes to send your, uh, to, to explore the galaxy. And then eventually, once you find a habitable planet, you're going to need to send out a portable moon base and a transport ship to transport people out to your new colony. You do this until you win the game, okay? So where does the fun in this game come from? The fun in this game comes from uh, the pictures. It really does. I, I thought that the pictures in this game looked really evocative. I felt like there was there's there's an atmosphere here. There's no animation. Uh, there, there's very little animation in the pictures. Um, but uh, the pictures do, I think that they are good. Um, whenever you send a probe out, you get a dossier on the planet and uh, you can see whether it's habitable or not. Oh yeah. And and I forgot there's also the whole research aspect. So I I left out a whole step before you can produce anything, you have to research the technology. So if this is sounding like a ton of other games, it is, it's like a ton of other games. Uh, It's a lot like a, you know, a real time strategy game just without the real time where, you know, you have to research technologies, then you can build the technologies, but first you need the resources. You're constantly having to manage your energy output, but it's a very simple system. Uh, Basically, you have your total output and how much you're drawing. And so you may have to disassemble your mining, or you may have to take your mining offline uh, to get to, to be able to produce enough energy to produce, you know, the next size battery or whatever, the next size power source. There are these things called solar gens and you have there. This game is not very creative when it comes to your, your power sources. Cause they're literally named one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, so you're constantly, <laughs> yeah. you're constantly upgrading those. Uh, and you, you basically, you know, you send probes out. The probe tells you if the planet is habitable or not. Uh, or you, you've got the whole map of the, the solar system, which includes all of the planets and all of the moons. I think they're all in there. Um, now, Plus, uh, like a few other things like asteroids. Or right. And there's an asteroid field. OK, so other things that you do in this game, you have to get materials from other places because the moon doesn't have every material that you need. So what you have to do is you have to build a mining ship and the mining ship is called like the Grazier or something like that. Okay. This is another place where the game falls short because I would have liked to have seen a screen that explained what the ships were without having to consult the manual. That's information that they could have easily put on there uh, in a, in a dossier because you have, you have a log, you have a, a database and you, you know, in your planet, you, you could have easily had another screen in your database screen that just gave you a rundown of all the ships, basically all the things in the game that, that you can build. That would have been really useful. But anyway, you send your ship out, your mining ship out to the asteroid belt. And every once in a while uh, you get, oh, and I forgot to mention the way that time progresses in the game. So you physically advance time in the game. 
which is interesting. Um, you uh, you basically you do all that you can do, and whenever you feel like you're done, it's almost like a board game. It's like Civilization. Uh, when you're ready to advance time, you can either advance by the hour or you can advance by the day. Um, one of the design flaws in this game is that there are not enough. Uh, there's not enough times where advancing things by just an hour makes sense. Uh, when you go into orbit around a planet, it takes you 45 minutes to land. So that would be a, an opportunity for you to just advance the clock by an hour. But by and large, the action is so slow in this game that you're going to want to advance by the day pretty much all the time. So uh, you basically, you send your mining ship out to the asteroid field, you advance time, you're doing other things, and then every once in a while it'll say your asteroid or your ship is, is scanned an asteroid. You can decide whether you want to put the contents of the asteroid in the hold and bring it back to uh, your moon base, or you can leave it and you can just not do anything, or you can wait for the next one. Now, there's a couple things that are, I think, that are bugs in this game. One is that once your ship picks up the contents of an asteroid, it can't scan any more asteroids. You can leave it out there as long as you want, but it never picks up another scan. Even if you have enough room in your cargo hold, it won't do that. I think that's a mistake. And number two, if you choose to not pick up asteroids three or four times, it'll just stop giving you the choice, uh, which I think is another bug in the programming. Uh, but that's still another cool thing that you can do that kind of gives you some player choice on like it's a push your luck element because there's an element copper is pretty necessary in this game. And you're like, well, this, this one has 30, but I, I've seen an asteroid before that had like 60 or 70. And, you know, you're, you're trying to get back and build things because where does the threat in this game come from? Well, the threat comes from the Martians, like you explained before. So the Martians every so often will attack your base. And they do this in a very organized way. Uh, first, one ship will come and attack your base, and then two, and then three, all the way up to ten. So the longer you play, the harder the game gets. Now, to defend your base, you have two options. You can either build orbital lasers, which you do not have the materials for at the beginning of the game, and they're nowhere close to you, or you can build fighters. When you build fighters you in uh, your attack, you scramble a fighter out, and you do battle one-on-one -on -one style, first-person, elite-style combat yeah, with yeah. the enemy fighter. What did you think about this combat system, Aaron? No, it wasn't so good. Uh, I mean, no, it was, it not was, so good. It was, it was odd. It was odd that it was there, I'll be honest with you. I will say, <laughs> I had been stooged off that this had some kind of... Uh, somebody mentioned in one of their comments that this had some goofy combat in it, and I was like, well... And so, the funny thing is that... <clears throat> I played this game. I played two different sessions of this game, okay. And this game is sort of, it's sort of linear in a weird, in a way, as much as the game as this can be at the beginning. Anyway, I didn't go. I don't know how far in. I was. I played both of them for a couple of hours, but I mean, stuff sort of happens in the same basic way. And so both times in both games, at the beginning, I didn't have enough. I hadn't not built any fighters because I couldn't. Because enough energy, because you sort of have to build your, you sort of have to, at the beginning your resources are limited, and you sort of have to build stuff in a certain order, right? And so I never had any fighters for the first attack, and so you realize they come down, like they would kill X amount of your of your colonists, the people in your the people that live there, and then the next time I was like, okay, I'm gonna get these suckers, so I built up some fighters, and then you can launch your fighters so there's an attack, and it goes in this like a first person mode. And there's a the there's an indicator, a pretty strange indicator of arrows and a ball, and they'll they'll be up down left and right arrows coming out of the ball and telling you 
how far away you are from the ship and what direction to push your ship to where you could find yeah. the other ship. It's a very it's a very rudimentary um radar screen. Yeah, and then you've got lasers and so basically you just I mean it it does look just like an elite or something. You just basically find the enemy ship at least the times mm. I did it uh and and you shoot the ship. That's I mean, yeah. it's, it's and, not and rocket you, science. You, you, you only have one weapon. Yeah. You only have one weapon. You've got auto fire, so you can basically hold the mouse down. I read somewhere that it takes 22 hits to bring down a ship. Uh, I was able to bring down the ships more often than not. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it wasn't too difficult. I never um, lost. When you when you do lose, uh, you lose men or you lose colonists. And if you lose all your colonists, you can no longer function and the game is over. Yeah. Um, and so that is sort of your impetus to act quickly in this game. Now, you mentioned the linearity of this game. This game is completely linear in terms of the events that happen. So if you take a game oh, like okay. if you take a game like Mule, uh, in Mule, you've got things, and this is a strategy game for the Atari 8-bit and other systems, uh, there are random events that happen that are random. There's pirate attacks, and your mule goes crazy and runs away and things like that. In this game, things always happen no matter what. So, for example, whenever you build, I believe, the fourth generation power source, it, it blows always up. blows up the next turn. And then you have to rebuild everything up from the beginning. Whenever you that. send your whenever you send your first probe to the asteroid past the asteroid field, uh, it always explodes in the asteroid field. And then they're like, oh, we need to pilot it better. Yeah. But it's worded in a weird way that almost makes you think you shouldn't send probes past the asteroid field, which it's going to be a real short game if you can't do that, because that's where everything good is. Uh, every time you send a probe to either Mars or one of its moons, it disappears. It's yeah. uh, understandably shot down, uh, but it never actually tells you that. They just keep disappearing no matter how many. So things always happen in the same order at the same time whenever certain things happen. But you are still free to you know colonize planets however you see fit. And so what, what this leads to is a game that is beatable. Obviously, you play this game enough times, you always know what planets are habitable and which ones aren't. So you can save your money and save your time and your resources and go right to where you need to go every single time. So you can eventually beat this game fairly easily. Uh, the replay value on a game like this is nil. Once you yeah, beat the game and you low. figure out the secret, you do get a percentage completion at the end. But I don't know that the end, the, the ending itself isn't so spectacular that you're going to want to see it again. Did you um, actually get to the end of playing this? I didn't play that long. To get I didn't. That I didn't see the end. I just. I, I. People were disappointed by the ending of this game. Well, you um, know, you you yeah, clearly you enjoyed this more than I did. Now I'm not I did. Gonna, I enjoyed this game. I'm not going to kill it. Okay, because a lot of what you said I agree with. Once you get used to the the interface it's a good interface but i mean they it could have been better but it's not but it, we've seen much much worse mm -hmm. now you know i'm not a i'm not a strategy gamer okay so i would say this is right in my wheelhouse in terms of what you have to manage uh and without being making it crazy this is not the worst game to like begin your strategy career in you know something like this it's not that it's not super difficult it's something else about it it's not super stressful and it's not it's like you're screwed. Like right. it's like one thing I learned early on is that don't be afraid to like advance the calendar for as long as you want. I mean, it's very, I mean, 
the Nothing enemy really. attacks the enemy attacks are very very yeah. sporadic and i'm yeah. sure that once you colonize more planets it's programmed into the game that the enemy attacks will come more fast and furious yeah. but you're right like well here's the thing this game is accurate in turn well it's it tries to be accurate in terms of distance and so like yeah. it's going to take you months and months and months or maybe even years to get to certain places in the solar system and so the game is set up for you to set a probe let it go off into space, and then you're going to be doing a bunch of other stuff while you're waiting for that probe to land wherever it's going. Um, the thing about it, but I like that. And to me, even though the game is only something that you can really beat once, the fact that there is an ending and the fact that you can depend on certain things happening, I like the fact that you can see the light at the tunnel, even though I didn't come anywhere close to beating it. I read a review from somebody that said it took five years of in-game time for him to beat it, and that was doing everything right. So you know how long it takes for you to advance the clock. I mean, it, it probably takes you, you know, anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute just to advance one month, you know, if you do nothing but hold down the button. Yeah. And so even when you've got the solution completely figured out, it's going to take you a long time to fully beat this game. Now, what would have been great, what I would have done to make this game better aside from all of the UI things that we talked about earlier, is I would have just made two modes. I would have made a mode that had like story mode, and then I would have had just a, another mode where the, the planets were, you know, habitable or inhabitable random. You know, you just make a random seed, and then you go from there. It's, it's sort of weird, and I really would like to talk to the coder to ask him why that was that would that would be more difficult than making such a linear game in the first place because he must have known that once you figure out like once uh and i can't remember the name of the moon but one of jupiter's moons i think is the first place where you can actually land and it's a habitable planet um why you couldn't just make it random every time you started the game and that way you could play this game literally forever yeah yeah, yeah. i uh and something else you know the uh, the martian colony as far as i could tell uh, I, I, they would attack occasionally, and I believe you could get to the point where you could go attack them. I never did, but I mean, I don't think they were actually doing it. I never saw them like in deep space or anything. Yeah, like that. I don't like, think that they do anything but attack you. Yeah. and that the, 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 the AI is, is definitely yeah, it's definitely a a weak point in the game as well. I agree. I'll be honest with you. I'd got to a point in this game. I'd built all my uh, powers. Like you mentioned, not every mineral is available on on the moon. Mm -hmm. For example, uranium comes to mind if you want to build right. the orbital laser, okay? Right. Which is great for product protecting the moon, obviously. You get an orbital laser. Uh, and it's something you can, you can research all this stuff, but you can't build it, okay? There's several things you can't build. So what that means is you have to go off planet and to, to with probes to try to find these resources. So you, are, you learn early on to just make a crap load of probes and just send mm -hmm. them everywhere. It's a, that's mm -hmm. something I did in both, you know, the second game, really, I really hammered it. But you get to the point where you're basically just waiting for probes to get places. And so you're just going forward. I mean, and there's nothing else really you can do. You I mean, you can keep building powers and stuff. You can sort of prep for later, you know, mm -hmm. for when you colonize. And then you've got it like by the first game in particular, where I didn't know where everything was. Like, I kept failing to get at anything with my probes. You know, like you said, you send a bunch to Mars, they disappear. And it's frustrating when you go send these things, and then you wait forever. It seems like it takes forever to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's real time, but it's just, it takes forever. 
And then once you get there, the probe disappears, or you land in a place that doesn't have anything. You're just like, oh, God, I got here we go again. Let's send yeah. out another batch of these suckers. And so that got kind of old. The combat, like I said, it was infrequent, and it wasn't, I would not call it heinous, but I'd call it pointless, you know, and, and really uh, across the board, not just because it's of the mode you play, it's because it just, and it's not a huge deal. Maybe the attacks get worse, but they don't, and like you said, they don't attack all that often. And once I figured out in the second game that it was just like the first game, that did help the second game. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I mean, again, it, it, without any the random chance element, it makes it a little lamer you know yeah once i figured out hey i should send guys to go mine the asteroids i didn't i didn't think about that in the first game you know i I learned something and that i could use that going forward but once you ultimately get to the end of this by learning all this stuff you know it and so when you go back to play it it's not going to be as much fun what would have been we had games for the pc i remember this game called uh, vga planets and there were other games even stuff like master of ryan that came after this that sort of went down this road. This game, I think, would have been more fun with a multiplayer element. I know that's, I know what year it is. I know what computer it's on, but I could see where you could put a multiplayer element in this and make it a lot of fun, or even a turn-based one, you know, sort of like mm-hmm. Civilization. Mm-hmm. I would like to have like diplomacy stuff. Maybe you could make hook up. Do we have to always fight the Martians? Do we have to always fight? Can we maybe we could find some different a, a little more stuff? Believe it or not, I'm asking for more stuff in this game. As opposed to less stuff. Well, yeah, it's 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 definitely it's almost it's, it's, sparse. I guess. Yeah, I'm it's saying. it's a it's a thin line to to trod when you're uh, when you're asking for more features, but at the same time, more features can be more confusing and more intimidating. So, yeah, uh, I feel like this guy, you know, he had an idea, he executed his idea well. Was it a perfect idea? No, and he probably improved, and by improved, I mean made more featureful and complex with this second game. Yeah, and I've heard it's good. Now, I will say this, and again, I'm not burying this game, because like I said, this game, for a, for someone of my skill level, was right in my wheelhouse, because mm-hmm. you guys all know me. You know, I didn't need the six-page manual, except for a couple times. I figured it out. I mean, eventually, I, once you play it and sit down with it for a couple hours, you can get the gist of it. But for a lot of you listeners that are very advanced in this area, this may be a little bit too... Uh, easy or too or not as fulfilling as a lot of game other games of this genre would be maybe below your abilities i guess what yeah I'm this is one of these games that you can look back at and you can say this is really you know where uh, so many games sprang forth from because 89 i mean it is very early on to have a game yeah. in this genre and you can see how other games built upon it I will say for me, I'm a big art guy, and the art in this game goes a long way to making me happy. Um, uh, I think that if this game, I mean, you're dead on that this game could absolutely survive with no art whatsoever, and you could probably play it like a BBS door game or something like that. Um, Yeah, it reminds me, this is like, it's like uh, if you took the graphics out of this, you would have a very good public domain game. That's what you would have. Yeah, with the graphics yeah. and the extra work, and by the way, the sound effects I didn't like either because no, just, I, they got old. Like they were so the annoying. One, that was the worst one. Yeah, this is you another know? classic example of your Amiga game that has a, a nice tune at the beginning, and then as soon as you start playing, well, I hope you enjoyed it because you'll never hear it again. Yeah, yeah, and they, every menu you go on, there has its own like special effect. For example, the one I did like was in the power area when you would upgrade. It would you could hear that noise of the power mm-hmm. going the 
getting more power. Right, that was, that cool. was cool. But then you got that whale sound that the defense area made. <laughs> no good. You don't need yeah. a you don't need an annoying sound in every menu. I I turned the sound off uh, oh, pretty man. pretty quickly. Pretty it was quickly. brutal in a couple places. Yeah. Uh, and and there are some elements. This like the 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 map the space map where you can map in and out, or even when you advance the days and you see the the universe spinning around the plants. I mean. There's some advanced behind-the-scenes work here that I, I, they probably could have taken a little more advantage of than they did. You know, th there, there are a couple things that I think were wasted opportunities. One is that you you do not need to ever zoom out. Uh, whenever no. you advance <laughs> the calendar, it automatically zooms you out. But, like, there's a screen where you can see the satellites um, uh, orbiting a planet, uh, you know, your ships or whatever. But there's no reason to ever look at that screen. It's totally yeah. useless. I didn't know it was there until I was wa getting, I was watching a playthrough, getting some tips, and I saw the guy go there because I never went to it. You don't need to go there, mm -hmm. like you said. Right. But it's just kind of neat. It's like you get to see the planet from like the 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 four, you know, the ten four, the you know, the big viewing area of the mm -hmm. ship that you sent there. Right. You know. But yeah, I mean, a perfectly playable game. It plays fine. Uh, it's it run fine if you. Need something just a a light game. Maybe if you've got a son or a daughter that's coming up, you want to get them their feet wet. This would probably wouldn't be the worst way to go. I yeah, mean, it's, I I'd say this is a lot easier than say like Civilization or something. This game reminds me so much of if Mule was not a multiplayer game, if it was a single player game. It's sort of like the trading economics equivalent of like a 4X game, of like a very, very early example. But what saves Mule is that it is a multiplayer game. And if this game had that turn-based multiplayer component, it would have been, you know, really, really good. I think this is a lot easier than Mule, personally. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me, uh, Boaster. Um, you know, I'll just for fun, I uh, had a look. You know, we mentioned that this came out on... Uh, the ST and DOS. Uh, I went ahead and pulled up the DOS, the ST version. I should say just for comparison. Mm -hmm. Yeah, guess what? They're eerily similar, as you can tell <laughs> if you're watching at home. You, I would, I would love to see you pick out one from the other. Neither mm -hmm. one of these things are what I would call like graphical juggernauts. I mean, they, right. they do the job they're supposed to do, but there's nothing uh, super incredible about what's going on. And uh, you can see that in comparison, they're very, very similar. Uh, mm. In every way, so there's not a whole lot to talk about there, Boat. Um, I looked this up uh, to see how it how it fared in the reviews of the day, Boatster. It's funny; a lot of people uh, love this game. The Lemon gave this thing an eight point three one, a very high higher score than I would have anticipated. Uh, back in the day, Amiga Computing gave this a seventy two percent. Man, AUI Amiga. <laughs> They didn't get it, Boat. They gave this a 40%. They dropped the Ouch. hammer on this thing. Four out of ten. See, uh, Commodore User Amiga gave this an 84%. Uh, Dator Magazine gave this a 8 out of 10. And the average came out to 78% uh, on this one, Boat. So did you get any Discord action, my friend? We did. We did. We'll start things off with David Hearn Ryder. He says... Millennium 2.2 was a nice-looking, single-load, space-age resource management and strategy game that was enjoyable to play through. You could beat the game in half a day and have fun doing it. The icons were intuitive, though there were some tedious features like advancing time. I preferred yeah. it to Detrius, Dutrius, I wish I knew how to say that, the sequel, though that end screen was a letdown. I give it 8 out of 10 mineable asteroids. <laughs> Dave Velociraptor says he's only played the ST version, but it's a fantastic 4X strategy game. I like the adventure touches in it. 
following on the in the legacy and feeling of elite as well as reach for the stars this is very much my kind of game love the music too years later came master of orion which made the genre famous and now there's things like stellaris sins of a solar empire and many others this was my first real exposure to the genre it's still playable now because it has a reasonable ui and isn't too complicated nine out of ten lord soup writes it's a game about managing mining and haulage but somehow makes some poor schmucks probably underpaid job entertaining it's a blast <laughs> my only criticism is that the fighter defense minigame gets so slow otherwise a game that definitely needs a remaster a cool feature would also be randomizing the solar system so if like me space stuff is your fodder and you don't have an idea where to go one of my favorite games of its era nine out of ten wow Lobsterminator writes, This is the type of game I prefer to play on the Amiga these days. My favorite games are ones I can have running on my Amiga and play throughout the day while I do other things. Yes. I enjoyed this back in the day, and I still enjoy it. As mentioned in previous review, the replay value is lower due to not enough randomization, but it's still good fun if you play it rarely enough that you don't remember everything. Like many Amiga games, a bit of extra work would have made this a timeless classic 8 out of 10. And finally, Vinny Cake says, this is a game I have a real fondness for. It teaches you two things, patience and the vast size of our solar system. It's rare to find a strategy game that's relatively straightforward to pick up and play without wading through a vast manual. I did find it fairly easy to get to the end, but that's no bad thing. The fighter minigame feels a little half-baked and impossible to lose, and the game would benefit from randomizing resources across the habitable planets and moons, as I believe the DOS version did. That's interesting. Overall, this is one I come back to every couple years and rec would recommend to anyone 9 out of 10. Those scores were... <clears throat> Higher than I would have anticipated. Not me, man. This is a solid nine out of ten game for me. This this might be the best game we played all year on Amigos. You're, uh, really? Yeah, I love this game. I don't. I don't see that. I, I mean, I think this is a. I mean, a, maybe a, a little above average. That's the best as I can go. Uh, I looked this up on eBay. Now, clearly, the people buying this game ha are closer to what you guys think than I am. I could not find any of these having sold recently. However, there were some for sale. All right, and these are buy it now prices, okay? All in the UK. All right, so someone's selling a complete box version of this. These are the big boxes, one thirty-eight. That's US dollars. All right. Then another guy was like, "Oh yeah, I'll sell mine for one hundred twenty-four. I saw one hundred and fifty-two, and some real lucky gentleman's trying to get one hundred ninety-seven. These are all complete boxes, so they're out there, and these were all buy it now prices. So if you're real hard up for this one i mean real hard up get out the checkbook because those yeah. are some those are lofty prices boat so i'm this tells i mean me this is this is one of the classic games in my opinion this is one of the classic games for the system i cannot believe that this doesn't that people aren't talking about this and people are still talking about freaking shadow of the beast is one of the greatest games of the well Amiga. i mean first of all i'm surprised it, for a game that's so ballyhooed, apparently we—I'd never heard of it, not at one time, and I, I'm guessing you hadn't either. No, never. Uh, and never. so, so I don't know. Maybe it's just there's a certain group of people that really, really dig it. It's not Probably crap. So. Don't get me wrong, but some people like it more than others. There you go. True. Folks. True. All right, Aaron. Let's leave Millennium 2.2 and go on to what's been going on over on our uh, YouTube channel. All right. Let's have a look, Boaster. So. This was a, a, not a super busy week, but we'll touch on a few of these things. Uh, let's start off with myself and the Brent. You know, the Brent, he's always here. And this week, uh, we did pretty good on this one, Boat. This was modern 16-bit games. 
Mm-hmm. These are games that would have that came out recently and for older systems. Uh, boy, we I don't want to say we got into a into a slight uh, uh, misunderstanding this week, but we did have a bit of a tiff on the show <laughs> as we screamed loudly back and forth uh, and had a huge fight. Uh, the game I selected, Demons of Asterberg, which is a brand new, I mean, brand new, like came out in August game for the Sega Mega Drive boat or or uh, Genesis if you're in the U.S. This is a, I think they call these a Metroidvania style uh, game where you run around. And my favorite part of this game is the fact that the whole basis of it is a, a, an agreement between demons and humans that went awry. <laughs> And I can't Who could have imagined the demons would have reneged on the deal? When I read the backstory for this, I did. I cackled out loud at the stupidity of the humans. Uh, anyway, this is a, the largest Genesis game ever made, allegedly, uh, both. And so I bought this, uh, played it, and Brent played it. We both really liked it. Uh, then the Brent, uh, not to be outdone, went and got himself a game uh, called Lethal Wedding. Now, Lethal Wedding is free uh, from Mad Cats Studios. And mm-hmm. I think the price is right because I didn't think this game was any good at all. But Brent put it over like it was the Citizen Kane of Genesis games. It was like talking about how great it was. And then when I when I disputed the greatness of the game, it was a it was a bally a bally who a tussle. It, it went down a uh, boat. So if you like to hear me and Brent yell, and apparently a lot of people do, then this is the this is the show for you. Uh, we got into quite a struggle, but I will say, sixteen uh, bit modern games. Remember how we used to badmouth the Amiga? It's like, where's all the games? Well, now there's zillions of them, and we're yeah. the Amiga's looking real good mm-hmm. uh, amongst these other games. Because I actually had trouble finding one, and I wanted to pick one that wasn't for the Amiga. So there you go. Two modern Genesis titles or Mega Drive titles for your uh, perusal. Uh, here we go, Boaster. You were up involved in this. This is Photon for the Coco yeah. 3. Talk about it, Boat. So speaking of w- one of my favorite games ever for a system, this one might take the cake in terms of the Coco 3. Um, this game is a kind of puzzly push and pull the block, avoid the blob game where you're trying to reach an exit. It's like if Sokoban got some attitude. <laughs> and uh, and I really really enjoyed this game. It's got the music. It's got it's got audio tracks that 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 are unheard of on the Coco. Yeah, I mean it's like real songs in this game. This thing's um, batting outside of its uh, usual average. For like, I mean this yeah. thing was I, I, never has a game been so perplexing to me until I figured out what was going on, and then so enjoyable as this game. Yeah, <laughs> when you look at it, you're like, what in God's name am I looking at? And then eventually, yeah, this is this may be the 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 latest game that we ever review on the Coco in, in terms of commercial releases. This came out in '91, which is pretty late in the lifespan. Yeah. So, um, this is this is definitely one photon uh, for the Coco Three exclusively. Check out our review, and if you like it, you know, fire up VCC, or if you've got, if you're lucky enough and rich enough these days to have a Coco Three, uh, fire it up on there. You will not be disappointed. Did I tell you I came across a Coco Two Three? Did I mention that on the show last week during my? You travels? have not mentioned it. Mentioned. You know, it. I had last Friday off before the show. Mm-hmm. Me and the boy went out to Starship Games in Cross Lanes. And they had a Coco Two there for sale, but it was a, it was a Coco Two with a Coco Three keyboard, wacky, and all the books and cartridges with it were Coco Three, and so I was like, "What is this?" And I still don't know because, believe <laughs> it or not, 
with all the crap in that store, he didn't have any RF mods. He didn't have an RF switch to try it out. So there you go. So it definitely wasn't like the guts of a Coco 3 and a Coco no, 2 I talked somehow. To Kurt, uh, uh, L. Curtis Boyle told me that that's a, that was no way that was going to happen. Okay. We don't know. It's some sort of anomaly, Boat. Who knows, yeah. buddy? Who knows? But it was something wacky. Uh, here we go. Speaking of something wacky, something wacky this way come. It's that crazy old Flack, Jack Flack. And this time around, he did it up the way I like to do it, which is sitting around for an hour playing a bunch of Donkey Kong games. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that, buddy. He jumped right out of the Commodore 64 and loaded up some DK mm-hmm. uh, and played a ton of DK before he moved on to what what comes natural after playing now DK. aaron i know that you're you're i mean one of the one of the greatest ever when it comes to donkey kong how do you That's rate flax uh ability at donkey kong flack plays this like a point pusher does mm. Look, i don't i never you know me i never play like that i literally just play to go through levels mm-hmm. and so i never score i mean i sometimes score quite well but i'm not i never point push because i get bored doing mm-hmm. that i don't like that but Flack went to work now, and then Flack played some junior. But when he, when the main event came around, this is one of your old favorites, Boaster, mm-hmm. uh, the old Mario Brothers. Flack went to work, brother, posting a mammoth score on here. Let's see if we can get to the score he ended up with. It was a mighty, mighty score here. It's like one hundred and sixty-seven thousand, something like one hundred fifty-three thousand. Yeah. That's up now. Me and you will we can tangle up in the one hundred fifty k zone. Now and again, but it was still cool now to do again. that while streaming. I was very impressed, Boat. Yeah. Uh, plus, listen, when you tune into a Flack gig, there's not just some geek playing games. This is a this is a wizard of conversation. He gets in there, and you get the full entertainment package, man. He's like Liza Minnelli or Sammy Davis Jr. He's singing, mm-hmm. he's dancing, he's playing, he's talking about food. It's a big, huge event. Frankfurt sandwiches. That's right, buddy. Well, I don't. I, I'm not going to comment on that. But yeah, it was good. It was good, entertaining stuff. And since while we're at it, boat, because we've only got two weeks left uh, before the deal goes down. Last week, speaking of Jack Flack, he joined me last week on Conversations from the Dark Side. Boat, you mm-hmm. were on assignment, mm-hmm. and Flack stepped up. And I have to say, I really, really enjoyed this one, Boatster. Uh, it was Dreams and Nightmares. We had a good slate of callers, all kinds of crazy dreams and nightmares. Uh, we learned a lot. We had some laughs, had a lot of fun. And this week's offering will be uh, uh, tonight at 8.30, Boat. Uh, for those that choose to join us, I believe the topic, yes, messages from beyond the grave, Boat. This is going to be a, a spine tingler dingler. Uh, this will be the second to last uh, Tales of the Dark Side of October. And then next week, we'll have our big Halloween episode where we have ghost stories. It'll be where we'll be doing ghost stories, personal ghost stories, ghost encounters, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But this week, communication from beyond the grave boat. It should be it's a gonna good It's going to be time. great. I can't so wait. If you are around at 8.30 tonight as we film this, which is uh, October 22nd, That'll be 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. Pop in, won't you, and join us uh, for Conversations with the Dark Side Boat. That's all we've got this week. Did you guys do anything on This Week in Retro, Boatster? We did. We did do a little bit this uh, this past week. Uh, this past week, Aaron, we released a show that actually has done really well uh, compared to uh, lots of our shows. Um, <laughs> when, I think it's, it's, all, uh, <laughs> it's all down to the... Uh, the mega 65 you know the mega 60 do you know much about the mega 65 aaron 
I know just enough to to be dangerous, Bode. Uh, well, that, that's that is that's the final story of the show. We uh, we talked about how the Mega sixty five is this. It's this computer, Aaron, six hundred and sixty six pounds. Yeah, or euros, that is, something that is huge. Yeah, that's it's a, a it's line. a very expensive FPGA uh, Commodore sixty four with a built in floppy drive. Uh, this thing is definitely uh, an enthusiast project. Uh, there and don't get me wrong, they they I think they made four hundred of these and they sold out all four hundred. Yeah. Now, when you've got a user base the size of the Commodore sixty fours, uh, then you know you could probably you can probably find four hundred people that are willing to pay almost anything for something that will allow them to explore an alternative timeline where Commodore released the ultimate system. Um, and I'm not saying that this thing is is crap. I'm just saying it is a big chunk of change, man. A big chunk of change. You, you know, here here I've got two things. Seven. Number one, people that bought this probably grew up with a C sixty four. Right mm -hmm. now, in my mind, studies have shown because I've no real studies to back this up that if you were a kid that grew up with a computer, you're already ahead of the carbon. You're probably making that sweet, sweet money because you True. were a brainchild, right? Because no idiots allowed in the home computer market. You had to have mm -hmm. a lot of jack, all right? Yeah. So you got Commodore users. They got a bunch of wide, and they're like, "Holy crap! Mystery computer from beyond the moon. I'm in." And they buy it now. <laughs> This is a lot like the uh, the ZX Next, except I believe this actually started. Uh, they were working on this before the ZX Next even was born. This mm -hmm. thing's been around forever, and so they've got it done. Good on them, uh, and they're selling this thing for the big money. Now, clearly, you know the old saying, but if you could sell out of what you got, you charge too little. You know they mm -hmm. could have charged maybe eight hundred uh, right. bucks. Uh, and I'm sure these will go big money on eBay. Someone will be selling. Them. I don't know what this thing does. When I heard it was FPGA, though, I was happy because much I'm hoping it's going to be like the ZX Next. And for people like myself who just happen to have the Mister sitting around, maybe they'll have a, a Mega 65 core, and I'll just get mm -hmm. to reap the benefits of all this stuff without actually paying $600. Right, the price right. on this, by the way, six hundred and sixty-six dollars. What is that all about? <laughs> well, that's all. That's you know, that's a nod to the Apple One. The Apple One was released at six hundred sixty-six dollars and sixty-six cents. That confirms a lot to me because <laughs> I, I think we all know that there was a deal with the devil was made uh, for Apple to get this much jack. But yeah, if you, if this is your bag, hey, you know, spend it, man. I've yeah. spent a lot of money on dumber crap in my life, so yeah, and maybe this is gonna be awesome. I don't know. But I've not seen anything for it. I've not seen any software. I don't know what kind of commuter they got. I don't know nothing. Mm -hmm. We also talk about a finger-length sized Atari 2600, Aaron. This has got to be the smallest console that I've ever seen. It's the mini RF modulator, the first story of the, the uh, show. This thing is so tiny, Aaron, that uh, it, it comes with its own TV set. And uh, it is a... Um, it is a thing to behold. This is definitely not something that you're going to want to play for very long without inducing eye strain. It doesn't look like we got any video of that. Oh, there it is on there. Uh, have you seen any? This is by a company called Super Impulse. I watched, and, uh, I watched this on your show. Okay, so mm -hmm. I am up to speed when it comes to this week in retro. And I can tell you, I think, that, first of all, when you said this, when the, the title threw me because it was like, RF, uh, uh, mini RF modulator. I thought to myself, man, someone has made an RF modulator for these old machines to make it release to hook them up to HDMI or something. That'll be cool. That's not what it is. No. Someone, and by the way, the, the kid playing uh, Dance Dance Revolution with his hand, that's the geekiest kid I've ever seen right there. Take a look. I don't know whose hand that is, but that's a geek, brother. 
I think this is the stupidest. No, it's amongst the stupidest things I've ever seen. Now, <laughs> I know. Uh, here we go with this whole thing. You're going to put the stuff on your shelf or whatever. But now the shelf crap's getting so small you can't even see it. You know? <laughs> what are we doing? And the fact that this has a usable joystick, it doesn't make a lick of sense. It's go- What the hell was this? I don't even want this. And it w- wasn't it super pricey or something? No, the, 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 the one good thing, I don't know. There might be multiple good things about this. It's only 35 bucks, So it's not going to break the bank. Especially coming off the real Mega Atari for that. But- yeah, that's true. That's God true. Sakes. But anyway, we talk about this is, you know, this, this last week, we really let it all hang out. That, we yes. we went long. We went real long on uh, on on this week in retro and uh, people they responded did. well. So if you want to listen to me and Neil kick back, talk about being freaks and weirdos back in middle school, you can hear about the Star Trek convention I attended. Uh, all the things that, that, that make you happy. Um, check out this week in retro. We've got a new episode coming out tomorrow morning. Yeah, it was great. It was a great one this week, but I'd say I was mildly <laughs> amused by your wacky stories, but the dance that's <laughs> revolution kid, that one really, I, about, <laughs> I can't, I can't fight you on that. That is, I was that's sitting a at a rest stop. <laughs> I was taking, I was at a rest stop. I was on a job and I looked at that. I'm like, what i laughed out loud, uproariously i bet the people around me thought i was on crack i was laughing i was like what is this bizarre boat very yeah. good though i enjoyed it man all right and just a quick update on our community score challenges uh we are still running of course the rough and tumble uh high score competition on the amigos discord and uh this is the final day to get your score in for mikey for the zx spectrum because we are taping mikey uh on our sinclair this sunday in two two short days uh speaking of that uh if you've got a a sunday afternoon where you're living free and easy and you want some uh, retro computing uh shows to listen to we are recording uh our sinclair our show about the zx spectrum uh 1200xl all about the atari 8-bit and the Coco Show, of course, all about the Tandy Color Computer. We're doing those back to back to back, starting at 3 p.m. Uh, this Sunday. And who knows if we're feeling froggy, we might tack on and ask the amigos after the at the end of all that. So Crazy. you can hang out with me and Aaron all afternoon. You know, and just in case, Boat, that uh, there's two more little uh, things I want to announce real quick. Uh, just in case you haven't gotten enough <laughs> of us. <laughs> Uh, it, uh, by, by, by popular demand, uh, we have tentatively scheduled the next uh, International Computer Club. I'm telling everyone this now so you can you can file your grievances or applaud or mark your calendars. But uh, we're going to do another one of these things, Bode. And, and by popular, popular demand, we're going to start much earlier. We're going to tentatively plan this thing for 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on January 29th. 2022 okay 2022 this is not a super bowl weekend there's no football on this day if you're an american there's nothing going on boat there will be baseball it'll just that's no football that weekend is that Uh, the week before the super bowl i already checked there's nothing there's no there's no they're having the playoff games the day before it's all part of like the day after it'll be a saturday so if you are interested uh boat will be putting up the sign up sheet probably in the next month or so and then you can probably the next couple days we'll and we'll Mm -hmm. We'll let you start signing up. Uh, now, starting at 4 o'clock does not necessarily mean we want to run six hours instead of four, for example. <laughs> but uh, sign up now. Get in there. Uh, the last International Computer Club was top shelf. I've liked them all, frankly, both. Mm-hmm. They've all been good. And uh, there's always an entertaining uh, gimmick. One more quick item before we move along. 
Uh, you guys may know that I, and sometimes both, are members of uh, an outfit called the Team Speak Irregulars. Oh, the Team yeah. Speak Irregulars on uh, a, a week from tomorrow, that'll be October 30th, will be having their Team Speak Irregulars Halloween Spooktacular booth. It's going to be uh, all horror games all evening long, and everyone will be wearing costumes that night. Oh, they're, they're very excited. I was not aware of that. Boat. Yeah, this is just I'm just even I'm the now released it. This is everybody. Wow. It's going to be a happening. Uh, if you aren't familiar with it, the Team Speak Irregulars have their own chitch, uh, Twitch channel. It's called the Team Speak Irregulars. It's on Twitch. If you type in the Team Speak Irregulars, all one word, you'll come to it. Subscribe, follow, whatever you do. And we they broadcast every Saturday from 7.30 to God knows when, usually past midnight, with a whole variety of retro and modern games, mostly modern. Uh, but this will be their Halloween Spooktacular. That'll be next Saturday. So tune in, won't you? There you go, Excellent. Bo. Excellent. Well, Aaron, it's time to talk about last week's Patreon song challenge. Horrible. Uh, one for the record books. Um course it was uh never going to give you up by rick astley you lied what happened to the nine the choruses and all that stuff yeah and uh i want to congratulate rob o'hara for being first with the wrong answer and first with the right answer what was the wrong (laughs) answer if i may ask bohemian rhapsody what yeah how did he get that well i set it up what else has nine choruses and uh, the original members of Queen? I, I promised Freddie Mercury was going to do a guest spot. Listen, no one was buying that. <laughs> Good Lord. So congratulations to Flack, Super Tech Boy, Heavy Systems Inc., Jugglebox, Alien Breeder, Gary Heather, and Andy Craig. I'm sure many, many more guessed that one. Uh, and uh, yeah. That was a that was and and again hats off to Lobsterminator for programming in that mod. You know, in order to get that to sync up correctly with the track that I was singing along with, he had to actually go in and like make micro adjustments to the mod's timing and do all kinds of wacky stuff to get. He's a he's a wizard. He's a wizard with the tracker. Aaron. Never has someone struggled so mightily to provide something to someone that was going to so brutally destroy it. <laughs> That's true. True words have never been spoken. So, Aaron, that brings us to this week's Patreon Song Challenge. If you know this week's song, please shoot me an email at john at amigospodcast.com. I will announce you as a winner on next week's show. If you are live in the chat, please do not reveal the answer in the chat. Instead, just email me. Aaron, are you ready? I haven't even heard this one, Boat. This came in at the 11th hour, so I don't have any idea what this is going to be. Are you ready? Let's do it. Here we go. Simulant, alien breeder, 
day Velociraptor Calvert Boyd, Lincolnson, Daniel Williams Luke Hudson, John Cobb the bass Frodo in El Sol, Incisive Tech Mage Jürgen Mistakova Bernard Lucas, Jerry Dimington Zorgwell, Brief, Fletch, and Simon Ledge Captain Crispy, Kilobytes, and Captain Gary Heather Free lunch with K-Bars David, Pickford, Cameron, Armstrong, Andy Jones Lobsterminator, 10-Minute Amiga, Retro Pass Bernard Quinn, RMC, Tim Drew Joseph Harrison, Powder Rob O'Hara, Matthew Lermore And he breaks on so far The boy, perfect, your monks show the zombie John Marshall, Matthew Perron, Ricky the Roche, the Dead War, Kicking City, Zeta, Slow North, Step on Shore, Mortensen, Adam Ellen, Christopher, Hassel, Rabbi, Abbey, Chris Wolf, Lauren, Drew, Grand Vicky, Adam Battis, Bill Barnes, Richard, Vince, Gary, Hector, Paul Harrington, Duncan Styles, Kish from the Trip, Josh, Nan, Adam Bradley, Jones, Will, Kishi, Eric Nelson, Young Tom, Hoopstack, Daniel Bixon, Drew, Eric, Rudy, Darren Fritz, Jason Moore, Sidon, and Yul. Right. So I want to give a special shout out to Bruno Langer, uh, Marie, the foreign exchange student that was staying with us for a while. That is her father who contributed uh, all the guitar parts to that number. And of no course, kidding. yeah, all the way from France and the big F, as you say. And uh, you say it one time. <laughs> of course, we've got reflection on bass. And the one, the only, Graham Vebke, brought to you by Red Symbols. Very good. Hey, you know, I almost forgot. We forgot something in the news I want to touch on real quick. You know, this past weekend, boat Amy West uh, went down. Yeah. And I did catch a little bit of the of the live presentation there, including uh, uh, I saw a couple Amigos t-shirts floating around. Really? Uh, including the MC was wearing one. And uh, I, that's I'm always down. That's awesome. Uh, this looked yeah. like quite a show. They had it looks like they had a pretty good turnout uh, boat. Uh, there was a lot of uh, technical. Uh, uh, there was a lot of technically based speeches and whatnot. That you know, there we're doing games for a reason. We too dumb to <laughs> I don't know anything about some of that stuff. But uh, congratulations on from by all accounts was a uh, a few. Uh, uh, a few shout-outs. Thank you, Tim Mark. Tim Mark says there were a few shout-outs for us, but uh, congratulations on what looked to be a total success, Boat, and uh, hopefully next year, once the unpleasantness has passed, Amy West will continue to grow and be another major success. So well done, boys. Absolutely. Congratulations, guys. Uh, and, of course, congratulations to all of our Twitch subscribers. Thank you so much for uh, supporting our channel through Twitch. We hope you enjoy watching us live, including Luminate 8 Picard 2010, Blow Jellyfish, Back to 8-Bit with Hermski, Gary Heather, Mitsuyama, Great Owl G, Bite Links, Amistef, Frodo NL, EO4077, Barkbit, 
Real Retro Dude, Wing Chun Wolf, Brock 101, Jedi Mon, Duh, Crabs MTG, Flip Blop, Pixels at Dawn Gaming, Buck Owens, Super Famiking, Jigglebox, Retro Jerry, Thurso Board, Twilight Zoner, Super Tech Boy, John Marshall 3, Paco Take, Still Adolescing, Mon's a Mess, Macintosh Librarian, Neg Sol, Metaberg, Hair Jury, Scumboy, Benz666, Texas Foosballer, Captain Chaos DK, Mr. Toast6502, Jay Borchers, Edvin Helland, and Orom. Thank you guys so much for supporting us through Twitch. Thank you. All right, Aaron. Next week on Amigos, it's our ever popular. People are just banging down the doors for another one of these. It's the Spooktacular, the sixth oh, annual oh, Amigos oh, Spooktacular. Oh, no. These are always death, boat. Oh, God. So we've got two two big titles, Aaron, to talk about next week. We've got Horror Zombies from the Crypt, which was suggested by Amigos Game Selection Committee member Brutal Barracuda, and PD Game Bloodfest, which was suggested by The Dunk, Duncan Styles. Well... Oh, man. Okay. Well, we'll play him. As we've never had a successful spooktacular, not one. And Maybe six the ones is our magic wearing, number. When you were wearing that green outfit, those were particularly <laughs> unsuccessful. I've never been so happy to be over here. If you wear it next year, I'm going to be far away from that. You weren't invisible to me, Boat. That's <laughs> true. I wasn't. I think it was skin tight. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Until then, adios. Adios.